So as we're working our way to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, um, I wanted to just think for a second about, okay, if you do give, why? Because there's some reasons we give that maybe aren't quite all they should be. And so you may give out of a religious sense of duty. Not the worst thing in the world. God does say it. But that's your motive. I'm going to check the box. God's going to be happier with me. God's probably going to bless me for it. Or maybe you give out of some sense of appearance. People will see it. People will applaud for it. People will think more of me because of it. Sometimes we can give for that reason. Somebody, sometimes we can give because we just feel really guilty. And that's kind of our way of like buying off the guilt that we feel like we owe God for the ways we fail. Or maybe the question isn't why do you give? It's maybe slightly less than we should. Why don't you give? And so why don't we give as people? I think there's probably two main headings for that. One, I think we don't give because we're fearful. I have to hold tightly to what I have because I'm afraid there won't be enough. I'm already, things are already tight. I'm afraid there's not enough. What if something bad happens? I'm afraid there's not enough. What if I need to prepare and prepare and prepare and prepare and prepare? There's not going to be enough. And so we live in fear and we hold tightly to what we have in fear and we hold tightly to our family in fear and we hold tightly to our homes in fear and we hold tightly to our stuff in fear. Something might happen to it. We hold tightly to our money in fear because I just don't know what's ha- going to happen next. Now this is free. There's a God who does. And he's your provider. Right? There's a God who does, and He is your Father, and you're His dearly loved child. And so we don't have to cling hold of things. So, why we do give, why we don't give, why should we give? Because you have an incredibly generous God who gave you the gospel that cost Him the life of His Son, and a generous God who creates generous children, the byproduct of that is a generous family. A generous child. And so you have a God who is so infinitely and lavishly generous that he would slay his son to give you life. And if we want to look like him, and we do because we're his. And if we want to have a family resemblance to our God. Well, if we have a generous God, a family resemblance looks like generosity. And so we're working our way through 2 Corinthians. Christ is a supreme and worthy treasure. Even if following him means slander. And even if following him means suffering in your life, he's worth it. He's worth it. And we're in kind of the second major section, this two-chapter section on giving. And the giving is a special above and beyond offering for the Judean church. In the Judean church, there was this massive famine over the land of Judea. And so there was suffering, there was poverty, there was actual hardship and need within, within the whole area but also within the community of faith. And the worldwide body of Christ was mobilized to make sure that their brothers and sisters in starvation and their brothers and sisters in in need in Judea were provided for. 
And so that prompts this section. And about a year ago, they had begun, uh, yes, we want to be part of this offering. Yes, we want to be generous. We desire this. And yet something happened with their desire and it fizzled out and they never actually did it. And so this two-chapter section is Paul saying, okay, you desired it. Now write the check. You desired it. Now actually collect the money. And so last, he's going through like gospel reasons for generosity, gospel generosity. And it's like, okay, God's so generous. Okay, the gospel is so generous. Okay, that makes generous people. And the byproduct of tasting the free grace of God is freely giving our lives to people and freely giving our homes to people and freely opening our table to people and freely giving our stuff to people and freely uh, being generous with our money to people. Like That's the byproduct of grace. That's the evidence of grace. And so that was kind of the main point. Is like there's a generous God who's given us a generous gospel and that produces generous people. But then he gave us two examples because examples help, right? It's helpful to walk into the kitchen and watch somebody do it. And so he gave us two examples. One, the Macedonians. They gave themselves to Jesus first. And since Jesus had them, Jesus had their time, but Jesus also had their money. And so this church was not an affluent church. They were dead broke. And this dead broke church said, Paul, please let us give more than we can possibly give to make sure our brothers and sisters can eat. Please let us give beyond our means. They begged him for the ability to give because they had first given themselves to God, to to Christ. God, you own me. Jesus, you own me. You certainly own everything I have. The other example, the trump card, Jesus. The Jesus example, the one who is infinitely rich, the one who is eternally rich, the one who is infinitely exalted, the one who is eternally exalted, humiliated himself to take on the form of a slave, emptying himself. Why did he do that? To make you rich. Not to make you rich like I own a TV network and have gold you know, thrones sitting up here for me to sit in. Not that kind of rich. He humiliated himself, emptied himself, took on the form of a slave to make you rich in the kingdom of God. Rich eternally. Rich as a co-heir of Christ, of all that Christ possesses for all eternity. And he became poor. He became humiliated so that you could become rich in the kingdom. How do you respond to something like that? I'm sorry, I'm going to preach last week's message again. Let's go. This week, he's going to give reasons to give. So that's examples to give. And in this chapter, he's going to give reasons to give. We're just going to give him two main headings to those reasons. But some more will flow out of it. So the examples to give, the Macedonians in their poverty, being generous. And Jesus in his richness, becoming poor for us to be rich. And then for here, it's reasons that he's going to go throughout. So let's read the text and then we'll, we'll jump in from there. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided or purposed in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. 
His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only the supplying of the needs of the saints but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from the confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. God, the gift of Jesus is a... We just can't even express with words how rich it is. We can't express with words how abundantly, lavishly wonderful the gift of grace through the work of Jesus is. God, we can try with songs and they fall short. We can try with sermons and they fall short. We can try with generosity and it falls short because this gift cannot be expressed It's so wonderful. It can't be expressed completely and fully because there's no way to comprehend the heights and the depths and the width of the love that you have for us in Christ. Thank you for an inexpressible gift of Jesus. Now grant us to be people who give. Grant us to be people who just offer our lives up to you and say, do with it what you want. Take what you want. Use what you want. It's yours, God, because we're yours. And we don't want anything else. We don't want anyone else. We want you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So the text is going to give us some rich reasons for gospel generosity. Rich reasons for gospel generosity. Look at the first one. Our generosity to others is met by God's generosity to us so we can be more generous. Our generosity to others is met by God's generosity to us so we can be more generous. If you want to be rich, I'm going to tell you how. The fastest, best way to get rich, give to God. If you've sat here long enough, that should perk your ears up a little bit. If you've heard some of the prevailing teachings of the American church, that should perk ears up a bit. So let me say it again. If you want to be rich, give to God. So if you want to walk around with a closed, tight fist, I'm going to let you all sit with that for a second. Think bad thoughts about me for about five minutes, and then we're going to clarify. All right. If you want to live your life with a clenched fist, you can hold your family. You can hold your home. You can hold your time. You can hold on to all the stuff you've accumulated and you can hold on to your money. And you can grab it and you can keep it. And it will utterly rot in your hands. It will be like the ponds throughout Statesboro that receive water and receive water and nothing ever comes out of them and there's a filthy scum that uh, accumulates over the top of them because they hold on to everything that comes into them. But you can hold on tightly. Or, you can open up your hand 
to others. And you can open up your hand to God. Because if you want to hold on tightly, yeah, you'll keep what you got. It'll rot. But there's no ability for God to put anything better or anything more in there, is there? If you'll open up your hand to others, and if you'll open up your hand to God, there is now space for God to put better in its place. And there's space for God to put more in its place. Now I've got you really thinking bad thoughts about me. So let's clarify. If you want to be rich, give to God. But that means we have to define what rich is, doesn't it? Because if you want to be rich, give to God doesn't mean if you want more money, give to God. Didn't really work out for the Macedonian church, did it? Dead broke, giving what little they had away. We're not going to say they were unspiritual, are we? They're the model of spirituality in the area of generousness. Dead broke at the end of the process. So what does it mean to be rich? It means that in severe tests of affliction, you can have joy. It means in poverty, you can be wealthy in your generosity. That's what rich means. It means I can be rich in my relationships. I can be rich in watching the way my life has been given out into the lives of others. And now there's more life in them because of it. And there's more gratitude to God in them because of it. Because I've now multiplied out from my life and enriched the lives of others. If you want to be rich in relationships, be generous with your life. If you want to be rich financially, you're not going to find that from a bigger bank account. You're going to find that when you've spread out your life and spread out your stuff so that it's blessed and helped and used in the people around you and blessed and helped and used in the causes that matter in the earth and blessed and helped and used to send the, the, the gospel to places that are desperately poor from the word. That's what rich is. And so if you want to be rich, give to God. If you want to hold tightly, you'll rot everything that stays in your hand. Are you going to be someone that God can give to and through? Sometimes that is materially. If you choose to live your life with biblical wisdom and money, it may very well result in some sort of material prospering. But if God does materially prosper, you know what he wants you to do with it? Send more out. He doesn't give us more to have more. He gives us more to give more. And so when we're generous, we open up our hands for God's generosity to flow in, to make us rich in Him, rich in the Spirit, rich in generosity, rich in relationships, rich in the favor that comes from watching people's lives around us, enriched, and sometimes rich materially so that more can go out. And if you read this text and you get away from this, like pastors should have Gulfstream planes... You probably didn't read the whole text, right? And we got guys that work for Gulfstream. I love the fact that people can buy Gulfstream jets. Pastors just don't necessarily need them, right? If you read this text or somebody ever declares this text from a TV screen while sitting on a gold throne with a multi-million dollar mansion, they've missed the text. If God makes you rich, he makes you rich to enrich the lives of others. If God gives you more, he gives you more to give more to others. And if God makes you rich in relationships and God makes you rich in stuff, then he's giving you that stuff to bless other people with it. Our generosity to others is met by God's generosity to us, not so we can have more, but so that we can be more generous 
at the end of it. Let's look at it in the text. Verses 1 through 5, we're not going to really cover, but Paul's kind of given a little bit of honey before he puts sting in there. Look, I just want you to know, Corinthians, I boasted about you. I bra- When I went to make, you know, collect an offering in Macedonia, I just wanted you to know, like, man, I was telling them how great you guys are and how you were already ready to give, and, and, and that motivated them. And so, you know, it'd be real embarrassing if they show up and, like, you hadn't given anything. And it'd be real embarrassing for me, but it'd also be real embarrassing for you. So look, I just want to send a letter so you can go ahead and start preparing the offering. And when people show up with me, you know, you'll be ready and you won't be embarrassed. So that's that. But then he's like, okay, but the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Do you see the sowing and reaping principle? Right? So... It's a farmer analogy and a a farmer does all this work to to make their rows and all this work to prepare the soil and all this work to fertilize the crop so they don't go into their field and think, how little seed can I put in there and get away with it? Like, what's the least amount I can put into the soil? Because they know something that's very clear. If I skimp on the seed... I'll skimp on the harvest also. And if I skimp on the harvest, I will have less seed to plant for the next sowing and the next harvest. And so a farmer doesn't walk around, how little can I get away with? The farmer walks around and says, how much is needed? And so they sow bountifully. And that's the principle that, that Paul is using to say, look, generosity. Because if you want to skimp, if you want to close your heart off, and if you want to give as little as it takes, like what's the littlest I can give to God and others and causes? What's the littlest I can give for God to be happy with me? Wrong answer. I mean, wrong question. If you ask the wrong question, you'll always get the wrong answer. What's the right question? Okay, I've got this lavishly generous God who did not spare his own son. How will he not freely give all things with that? So I've got this like, what's the most I can give? What is needed? What can I put into the soil materially so that spiritually something comes up that's alive? If you want a skimpy harvest in your life, and I don't mean that purely materially, I mean that spiritually. Like there's a, there is a translation that happens when money goes in and spiritual Returns on investment come out, right? So it's not money goes in, money comes out. Like if, if you hear that, that's wrong. Money goes in, spiritual life comes out. There's a, there's a, a, an exchange of currency that happens with our generosity. And so whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Do you want your life to be filled with as little as possible? Skimp. Like, I want a skimpy harvest from God, just enough that he'll be happy and not strike me. So I can have all the stuff I want, right? In my mind, my calculation. I want a skimpy harvest of righteousness. I want a skimpy life with God. I want a skimpy joy in the presence of God. Live your life with a closed fist. Ask the question, what's the least I can give? What's the least I can do? What's the least amount of investment? What's the least I can do? But whoever says bountifully, and the word bountifully here is blessing. Whoever gives according to the principle of blessing. Whoever gives to the level according to the blessing. That's generous, abundance. Whoever does that also receives abundantly. So whatever you sow... 
proportionate to who you are. Generosity is defined by proportionate to who you are, not in comparison to other people. And generosity is also defined by, is it a heart of generosity that produces a life of generosity? Or is it some other lesser motive that we talked about at the beginning? But that's the, that's the lineup. That's the according. And so you can see, if you read this verse, and if you read another verse in this text, where this thing called the prosperity gospel comes from, can't you? You can see where they get it. You can see how people could pervert this in their greed to get more stuff for themselves on the backs of you as people. And it is damnable, heretical, nothing less than from hell doctrine. That you can go about throwing money around to make a minister rich, to have more opulent lifestyle, and get rich in return. That's from hell. But what is true, and we cannot step away from the truths of God simply because people pervert the truths of God. So we're not going to walk away from what God says. What does God say? If you will spend your life giving, then you'll open yourself up to a God who gives better than you ever could. And more than you ever could. And better than you ever could. How he defines it. And if he defines that as more dollars, let him define it that way. But if he defines that as a richer life filled with more people and more relationships that are life-giving, then let him define it that way. If he defines it as a more intimate walk with him where you experience the joy of his presence and the fellowship of his company, then let him define it that way. But if you will lavishly give your life away, God will be better at giving than you ever could be to enrich your life from it and enrich other people's lives through it. See, in God's economy, there's no such thing as loss. There's only gain in God's economy. It's not a limited resource. It's a multiplied resource. As cycle after cycle happens, he gives to me. I'm generous with my life. I'm generous with my time. I'm generous with my table. I'm generous with my stuff. And then he gives me more, however he defines more, so that I can give more time and more life and more stuff and more money and more investment in relationships, and then he just gives me more. And God's more is always better than whatever it is I put out. Don't so sparingly live this skimpy life so bountifully and live a rich, bountiful life, rich the way God defines it. And if anybody ever says, give to get, give so you can have more, and he'll just multiply your... Run. Run. Because it will take you to the wrong place. It'll take you to the wrong place. So, he starts out with this principle. Why should you give? Because your generosity will always be overmatched by the generosity of God. But if God's generous to you, and he is, he will always expect more generosity out of your life. But then the next one, we have a infinitely eternally joyfully generous God. We have a joyfully generous God and he loves and delights in willing, joyful givers. If you want to delight the heart of God, be generous. So look at this. Each one should give as a purpose in their hearts. And so there is a subjective element to this kind of giving. Yeah, it's, it's tough to have regular systematic giving. It's ongoing warfare. But there's an above and beyond giving that's going to cut. There's an above and beyond giving that may cost you something that you want, you'd rather have. It's not the extra. And God's going to call you to that. I promise you he's going to call you to that if you'll keep your heart open to it. 
but he wants you to purpose in your heart the subjective amount that is between you and him that he has called you to give. And yes, test it in community. You know, make sure it's, it's what God's calling you to. But he's going to call you to give as he's purposed in his heart, as, as you purpose in your heart. And here is the key attitudes, not reluctantly. Y'all ever ask your kids to do chores? If not, you should. Have you ever asked your kids to do chores? How much do I have to do? What are you going to pay me? Fine. That bless you. I'm I'm just like so thrilled in my soul, sweetie, that you decided to sweep on threat of punishment. No blessing to them, no blessing to us, right? But some of us do that with our generosity. Reluctantly. Okay, God, you'll probably zap me if I don't. God's up there just thrilled. He's like, I can't wait to be generous to this person again. Not reluctantly, not begrudgingly, not moaning within yourself every time you have to sacrifice anything for the kingdom of God. Don't give reluctantly. You kill all the benefit. You kill all the generosity God would have wanted to put there. The act doesn't matter if the heart is wrong. Don't give reluctantly and don't give under compulsion. Don't give because I stand up here and give you a guilt trip and manipulate you into giving. And if I can just manipulate you the right way or manipulate you emotionally enough or or guilt you and pressure you to keep the law, don't give under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver because God's a cheerful giver. God is so lavishly generous. He is joyfully delighting to give good gifts to people. And how do we show off a God like that to a world of greed? When with joy we get to give ourselves away. When with joy we get to give our stuff away. When with joy we get to give our money away. Don't do it reluctantly. Don't do it under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. And what would we desire more than to delight the heart of God with our generosity? And to mimic the heart of God with our generosity. And then to display the glory of God in the world from our generosity. Do you see that? You give as you purpose your heart. God delights. He loves a cheerful giver. And then look at this one in verse 8. Just another great prosperity gospel verse. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that you can have all sufficiency in all things all the time. Man, how awesome is that? God is going to make all grace. That's material grace and spiritual grace. God is going to abound your life. He's going to give you everything you need all the time for everything. Man. I'm going to take the offering plate back out. Y'all ready to give? But there's more to the verse, isn't there? God will give you absolutely everything you need to abound in the good works he's called you to. God will always supply all you need all the time to maximize the display of his glory in the world through your life. God will always give you all you need enough to do all the good works that he's called you to. And so if you want to abound in good works, God's resources will be available for God's call on your life. That is a truth. And so he's not going to give you all things at all times for all you want always. That's not the way giving works. But he'll give you absolutely everything you need to glorify him. 
He will give you absolutely everything you need to say, this is how great my God is. This is how glorious and wonderful my salvation or my Savior are. He'll give you everything you need for that. He'll give you everything you need to be generous in the ways he calls you to be generous to the people in need. And so he'll give you everything. He'll be totally sufficient of all the grace materially and spiritually that you need to do the good he's called you to. Now all of a sudden the prosperity gospel is not enhanced, it's destroyed by this text. And look at the last part of it, because it kind of hits the point. He summarizes it here. Verse 11, we'll, we'll wrap up what's before it, and so I'll just skip to that. You will be enriched in every way. You will be enriched in every way. That sounds like material may be involved. You will be enriched in every way, sow your seed. You'll be enriched in every way, sow your seed generously. You'll be enriched in every area of life. Still the rest of the verse though, isn't there? Look at it. You'll be enriched in every way, verse 11. So that you can be generous in every way. Simple way to think about this. Everything that God enriches your life with, that he enriches to you, he desires in that exact same way to be rich through you into the lives of others. Is God rich in relationships to you? Guess what he wants to do through you? Offer rich relationships to others. Is God rich in his forgiveness to you? Enrich the lives of others through forgiveness. Is God rich in material blessings to you? Great! He didn't make you rich to have more. Is God rich materially to you? Then he did that so that you could be rich towards other people. God enriches you and whatever area of your life is filled with blessing, whatever area of your life has God's favor on it, whatever area of life God adds to, he wants to use that to add through into the lives of others. He's enriched you in every way. To be generous in every way. See the parallel? That's the prosperity gospel. I want to prosper in the joy of God. And so I receive from God. And then I just let it go. You know, there's a sea in Israel called the Dead Sea. Salt content is like 10 times higher than any ocean on earth. Nothing can live there. And you want to know why? Because everything that flows in there from the fresh, life-giving Jordan River stays there and never goes anywhere else. And so as the water evaporates away, all the mineral that were part of that are just remain, and it kills everything. It's fed by this life-giving river. It's fed by something that keeps water and life flowing through that whole area. And it goes there to die. All the life that goes there goes there to die. Are we going to be rivers of life where God can pour into what he chooses because he knows when he pours that in there, it will pour back out of us to others? Or are we going to be the place where God's blessings go to die? Because you can hold on tight. Family, home, stuff, money, time. And it'll rot there. Or you can say, God, I don't know why in the world you'd want it, but you can have it. Do whatever you want with it. We're generous because it will be met with God's generosity. And when God's generosity enters our life, we're generous to others. The last point, which is 
pretty simple and pretty direct. Our generosity multiplies thanksgiving and glory to God. Our generosity multiplies thanksgiving and glory to God. Now, unless you think I'm like making this up or you think, wow, this is isolated. Here's a few verses from Proverbs that'll help you out. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and he only suffers want. You see that? One gives as much as he can give and can't give away enough. It just gets richer. Another withholds what he should give. And all he has is want. You know there are dead broke billionaires because they can't enjoy with contentment anything they possess. Want, want, more, more, need. Whoever brings a blessing will be enriched and the one who waters himself will be watered. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed for he shares his bread with the poor. You shall give freely and, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give. Because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all the works of your hands and all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, to the poor in the land. This is God's pattern. You want to shut the ears of God off to your life? Shut your ears to the people in need. You want to open the ears of God to your life? Open your ears to the people in need around you. Like this is God's pattern. All right, so our generosity multiplies thanksgiving. Why do you exist in the world at all? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God means to put the greatness and worth of God on display. To show how rich and wonderful and great he is. And so when you walk out of these doors, you walk into a world rampant with greed, rampant with materialism, rampant to say, get more, save more, buy more, charge more, have more, have newer, have better. And how do I go into that world and say, that's not what God's like. When I walk into that world and say, instead of more and newer and better, I'm going to give more away. I'm going to sacrifice more of my life for the sake of others. That's how we do it. This is what God's like. The God who gives and doesn't take. The God who is a lavish, generous giver. That's how we glorify him. And look at this. This is what happens in the last part of the text. Why should you give? Because look at the end of that verse 11. He'll enrich you so that you're generous to others. When you're generous to others, what happens in the lives of others? They increase in their thanksgiving to God. Have you ever had that fit moment? Of need. Don't know how I'm going to pay the bill. A lot of us haven't had that. Don't know how I'm going to get through this. And just in time, God provides. God takes care of. What happens in that moment? Your soul lifts and it lifts past the person that's in front of you helping. Your soul lifts and opens up to God in that moment. And that's what he's talking about. It will abound in thanksgiving to God. Not to you, to God. And the more you'll be generous with your life, the more God will be generous to you, the more God's generous to you, the more you'll be rich with your life, and the more you're rich with your life. The more the people in need, the more the people in suffering, the more the people are without Jesus and get Jesus, the more the people are suffering some calamity, some temporary moment that they need to get through, the more they encounter the supplying of their needs. The louder their praise to God becomes. And so your generosity allows greater praise to God, greater thanksgiving to God. And look at it, it's both 
material and spiritual as you move on. For the ministry of the service, the word service there is the word for liturgy. It's, it's your worship, your worship service. And so what is the outcome of your worship service of generosity? One, material. It'll supply the needs of people. It'll actually tangibly meet the need a person's facing or a cause is facing or a ministry is facing. But does it stop there? No. Spiritually, what will happen? It will overflow in many thanksgiving to God. People could not help but louder praises to God. Louder thanksgiving to God. More praises to God. More thanksgiving to God. And so when you invest your life generously, you find that it meets real needs and their lives are enriched. But you also find that when their lives are enriched, God is more glorified. God is more praised. And then... He goes on to say, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from the confession of the gospel. Your giving has the ability for people to see the generosity of God. Your giving of your life, your time, a space at your table, your stuff and your money. You're doing that allows people to see the greatness of God, see the worth of God, see the treasure of God that is better than the treasures of the earth they're trying to possess. And your giving can do that and they will glorify God because of your giving. They will see the greatness and worth of God because of your giving. Because your life will put him on display. Your life will say God is generous. But your life will also say God is worth more than the stuff I have. Jesus is a better treasure than a mansion. Jesus is a better treasure than a jet. Jesus is a better treasure than a jet ski. Jesus is a better treasure than more, newer, and better. Jesus is better than all of it. And does my life say Jesus is better? Or does my life say stuff is better? Does my life say Jesus is better? Or does my life say my bank account is better? Does my life say Jesus is better? Or does my life say my car is better? What does my life say? Because the answer to that question will determine, do people see God? Do people see his glory? Do people see his worth? Do people see his majesty? Do people see that he is a treasure above every treasure? Or do people see someone just like them? Captured by the stuff that they're captured with. People will glorify God when they're met with our generosity that comes from the confession of the gospel. The confession of the gospel is this. It is the, it's what we call conversion. It is when we embrace the gospel. So when they're saying confession of the gospel, they're saying the embracing of the gospel, your conversion. So when you are converted, when you are saved, what does submission to the gospel look like? Or put it this way, it's a little easier. What does obedience to the gospel look like? Obedience to the generous gospel is generosity. And when generosity flows out of your life because of the gospel, not because of guilt or manipulation or wanting people to applaud you or whatever, but when generosity flows out of your life because of the generosity put in your life by God, people will glorify God because of that. And then we'll close with this last verse. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Can you put words to the cost of the cross? Can you put words to how rich the gospel is? Can you put words to what it means when enemies become sons? Can you put words to what it means when the death of Jesus, God the Son, is what it took for the gospel to be offered to the world? Can you put words to that? No! What can you do? Thank God for it. 
Thanks be to God for a gift I can't describe. Thanks be to God for a cross and for blood that forgives my sins. And thanks be to God for God the Son embracing a cross that he didn't have to embrace. Because with one word he could have just slayed everybody on the planet and they would have deserved it. But instead embraced a cross that no man could have forced him on. Embraced a cross, died so that an enemy could become the child of God. Dearly loved and adopted. Thank God. We've been talking all service about wonder. Does that fill your heart with wonder anymore? Because a heart filled with wonder certainly isn't filled with wonder at stuff. A heart filled with wonder is a heart that can release stuff because a better wonder, a better treasure has taken its place. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. A few practical things as we close. Give an open hand and an open heart to God. God, here's my home. Here's my table. There's not many empty seats. You see how many kids I got running around, right? But there's some empty seats. Here's my empty seats. Here's my time. I'm not as busy as I claim to be or pretend to be. Here's my time. God, I got stuff sitting in my garage. Here it is. God, I've got money. May not be as much as some or it may be more than others. But I got it. Here it is. What are you going to do with it? And all that it starts with is simply this. God, here it is. What, when, where, and how do you want it to be used? Because it's yours, not mine. I'm simply a manager of any skill you've given me or any money you've given me. Give an open hand to God. God, it's yours. Do what you want with it. Second, check your heart for joyful generosity. There have been seasons in my life where I've written checks. Maybe there have been in yours too. But I didn't write them with joy. I didn't write them thinking, thank you God that you would even let me have a check to write or a hand to write it with or a pen to write it with or any money behind it that makes it good. Have you done that? Or have you given to needs and, and, and joy wasn't the motive? Like, I'm so thankful that I get to step into this. And so check your heart. Is the generosity of your life and the generosity of your home and the generosity of your stuff and money traced back to a heart that's joyful in God? Thankful for his inexpressible gift? Check your heart for joyful generosity because guilt won't do. If we have a generosity problem, it's not because of our money situation. If we have a generosity problem, it's because we have a grace experience problem. Check your heart for the joy of grace. And if the joy of tasting the grace of God is there, generosity flows out of that. It just does. It's just natural. And then eat, bless, serve, and share with two. There are people who are dead broke in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't have the name of Jesus in their homes. They don't have the name of Jesus around their table nightly as they gather. Their kids are not exposed to the name of Jesus in their home and in their church or in a church or in Wednesday nights. And they're dead broke in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They go all over campus. There's no Jesus. And there's people all over the world that even if they wanted to find him, they couldn't. No one wants to. And so if we want to be generous... Let's be generous with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's have people we're going after. Let's have people sitting around our table. Let's have people we're serving and blessing and opening our mouth with the name of Jesus for. Eat, bless, serve, and share with two. And after two weeks on money, thankfully we're moving on from here, but I do just want to encourage you. Like, this is a generous church. 
And I can't be more thankful and more blessed by, than, than that. Like when we say there's a shortfall of sending missionaries around the world through the, IM, through the IMB, will you give more to Lottie Moon? You give more to Lottie Moon. When there's a person sitting here and they've got, you know, I need something. They get it. When a person makes a need in their life known, people come beside them and they meet the need. And I just want to say thank you. Because I believe in so many ways this is embodied in this church. Because as a family, you take care of each other. And as a family, the things that matter to us to release resources into the world, you do it. You do it just above and beyond every time. We have so many rich reasons to be generous with our life and money. And so let's unleash a movement of lavish generosity in a world that is so desperately greedy. Let's pray. Father, grant us to behold the glory of the Lord and be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Grant us to taste and see the God who gave his own son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Grant us to see that he who did not spare his own son will freely give us all things. Grant us to see that even if it means famine and nakedness and sword, it just means the world's not worthy of us. Grant us to see, Father, that even if it means starvation for your glory, there's enough to glorify you. And grant us to see that so much above and beyond how rich our lives are, how much we possess. Grant us to see it's your gift. And then release it back into the world in blessing and generosity. God, make us generous people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to our time of invitation, there is a God who has given the inexpressible gift of his son. His son lived a sinless life that you could never live. His son died on a cross to pay for every sin, past, present, and future, for all humanity. And he died on a cross... And he was buried. And by the glory of God the Father, God raised him back up to life. And he has now offered the life of Jesus to you. Have you ever tasted and seen this inexpressible gift of Jesus? Have you ever had your sins forgiven? Have you ever turned from your sin and put all your faith in Jesus alone to save you? Have you ever had the Holy Spirit convict you of your sin and draw you to faith in himself? If that's not the experience of your life, come and let's pray together. Or in, in your bulletin, there's a little white sheet. And you can just fill it out and say, I need to talk to somebody about this. And we'll talk to you about it. But for those of us who follow Jesus, maybe over these past few weeks you've looked and you're like, there's some things my hands have just clenched onto. Time or money or there's a certain possessions. No, not those, God. Or there's a certain amount of money. No, not that, God. There's something in your life you're holding on to tightly. And maybe God's just saying, open it back up. Open back up your hands. Or maybe for you it's simply, I just need to make a fresh, a fresh commitment, a fresh desire to pour out the generosity of God with my life and any stuff he happens to give me. How do you need to respond? We're going to stand and sing, and we're going to let you respond how God's leading you. Where you are or up here is fine. Let's stand, let's sing.